Have you ever felt like the guy in that mirror? I know I have, and I wish it was just past tense, but it's not, and so I, I often still do. In fact, more often than not, I'm, I'm struggling and fighting with, within myself, you know, between the me that lives in this world of sight and emotions and experience, you know, the, the things that I'm wanting for myself now and, and what I want for myself eternally. I, I'm often at war within between that which I experience here and that which I experience in my world of faith, in my, in my quest to know God. Can, can you relate with that struggle, with that war, with that tension? Well, the good news is that we're not alone. Everyone, everyone fights the same battle. And when we understand that everyone fights this battle, that we're not alone in our struggle, in our wars within, it gives us a better chance at, at understanding it, at understanding ourselves, at understanding the experience, and ultimately fighting the war and winning. And, and with that, I, I just want to welcome each and every one of you here at Plymouth at all of our other campuses. If you're a guest or a regular attender, welcome to this new series that we're calling World War Me. It's all about the, the battle for our lives, and, and all of the truths we'll be experiencing are going to flow out of the beauty of the Psalms in the Bible. And I just... I just believe with all my heart because of how I've wrestled through these truths and how I've wrestled through the development of this series, I just believe that God is going to use World War Me to change a lot of our lives. And so I'm thrilled that you're here. Are you ready to go? Are you ready? All right. Well, great. One of my all-time favorite books, I mean all-time favorite Christian books, is The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's a very, very old book, actually written before I was alive, but it is a phenomenal book. Curious, just really curious, here and at all of our campuses, how many of you have read The Pursuit of God by Tozer? All right, three of you who are 80 like me. That's fantastic, <laughs> wonderful. Well, it really is a, a, a great book, and I have to tell you, there aren't many books that have so captured me that they're just as relevant today after 40 years of, of struggling and journeying to follow Jesus as it was when I first got exposed to it in the early days of my faith. But this is one of them. I mean, this is a book that still resonates with me so profoundly that I try to read it like every five to six years again just to be reminded, just to get my heart beating fast again. And I have to tell you, the, the title alone captures my attention, The Pursuit of God. I mean, it just, whoa, big time. I, when I came to faith, that's what I wanted with all of my heart, to pursue God, to know God. Because, you see, I had, I had long lived without God. I had long lived not even believing God was relevant to my life, if at all real. And when I discovered His reality, all I wanted to do was know Him and pursue Him and and I found this book. And when I opened the cover for the first time, before the book even officially began, you know, chapter one, in the preface, this guy 
grabbed my attention and he really described me. And I, I want to just give you a couple of his words from that preface. He wrote, in this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears. There are to be found in this world of darkness an increasing number of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. They are, and I love these three words, they are a thirst for God. And they will not be satisfied till they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. They desire God above all. They are a thirst to taste for themselves the piercing sweetness of the love of Christ about whom all the holy prophets did write and the psalmists did sing. His words just grabbed me. And I have to tell you right there at the end of those quotes when he said, and this is what the psalmist sang about, Tozer explains why I've always loved the psalms. I mean, he gets it. You see, the psalms are, are the beautiful and poetic and creative words and expressions of a group of people who authentically and genuinely hungered and thirsted for God in the same way that I do, in the same way I hope you do. I mean, listen to David in Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the one who hides their life in him. The Psalms are filled with passionate expressions about desiring God. Again, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When, when can I be with him? I want to be with you always. Isn't that unbelievable? Think about it. Don't you wish you could just write one sentence like that? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And I have to tell you, I, I really relate to this kind of spiritual heart and hunger and in my best moments, this is exactly how I feel about my relationship with God. I want to go deeper. I want to be with Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to know Him more than anything else in my life, in my best moments. But, you know, I just have to be really honest with you. All of my moments are not my best moments. This isn't the only defining reality of my life. You see, too often, rather than hungering and thirsting for God, I'm hungering and thirsting for my, my own pleasure, right? Something that will satisfy me from this temporary world. I'm hungering and thirsting for some very temporary and human thing that I think will make my life better. Like this week, the iPhone 10. I mean, it's like, I just, I mean, it kind of replaces the hungering for God thing. It's like, but it's got a full screen. It's unbelievable, you know? I think that would make me happy. Can you relate to this? I mean, here, I mean, one moment hungering for God, for something eternal, for something truly valuable, and the next losing myself in the obsession of, of hungering for something like that, I mean... Remembering that I hungered for every iteration of iPhone the same way and they, 
they all leave me flat ultimately because they keep creating better ones, you know? And because of this, this struggle, this conflict within me, it, it makes me feel, if I'm really, really honest with you, it makes me feel like I will never be able to know God like those who wrote the Psalms. It makes me feel like there's something wrong deep inside of me that, uh, that there's a battle that rages in me that doesn't rage in those who become genuinely spiritual and so in some way this conflict in me disqualifies me. It, it makes me feel like I'm different than, less than these truly great spiritual people. It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Have you ever been there? Like you're on the outside looking in? But then I read further into the Psalms and I find words like these written by David too. So different. Psalm 38 verses 3 and 4. Because of your wrath, God, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. How profoundly different are the words as the, peer, as the deer pants after the water, so my heart pants after you, O God. Taste and see the Lord is good. How profoundly different are those words from the guilt just overwhelming me as a burden too heavy to bear. This is why I love the Psalms. In them I find people I can actually relate to on both sides of the equation. In, I can relate to them in their passionate hunger for God in, in their best moments and I can relate with their authentic and honest admissions of brokenness. And here's what we learn in the Psalms, and I hope you'll get this. This kind of paints the, the picture of where we'll be going ultimately. There is darkness that we have to address. There is an inner struggle and tragedy within that we have to talk about, but there's also the beauty of what can become. And, and what we learn in the Psalms is, is that the people who have known God best are the same people who have also known brokenness most. Brokenness doesn't disqualify us. Brokenness becomes the foundation upon which we can experience God and all of His greatness in our lives at their best. It, do you know what this means? That those who have known God best are also those who have often known brokenness most. It means that people like me can genuinely know God and be used by Him. It means people like us can genuinely know God and be used by Him. This is hope. Think about David who authored nearly half of the Psalms. He was a man with a heart for God. The Bible makes this clear. He was a man with a heart for God who wanted nothing but God and because of this he was used and blessed by God in extraordinary ways. In Acts chapter 13 verse 22 it says, God testified concerning him, I have found David son of Jesse a man after my own heart. Can you imagine that being God's story of you? They're, they're after my heart. Their heart beats for what my heart beats for. It can't get better from God. 
And that was said of David, but this isn't the full story of David. If it were, it would definitely make me feel unqualified <laughs> to ever experience God, to ever experience his blessing and to be used by him, but it's not the full story because you need to know that he also pursued his own heart. He wasn't just a man with a heart for God. He was a man with a heart for himself. He wasn't just a man with a heart for that which was eternally valuable. He was a man at times who lost himself with a heart and passion for that which was momentary and fleeting. There were times when he wanted nothing but his own pleasure. I'm telling you right now, he'd be ordering the iPhone 10. <laughs> and he pursued his own pleasure without caring about the consequences to himself, to the world, to others. He, he, this man who had a heart for God but also had a heart for himself, blew it as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader, as a godfather. He blew it. I mean, he, time and time again. There's this one story, probably the most profound of his failures is the story of Bathsheba. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I, I recommend you do, but you need to know this didn't come before he knew God. This didn't come at the beginning of his journey with this God. It became after he had a heart for God, after he had done profound things and God had used him in profound ways, and yet he lost his heart for God and he surrendered to his heart for himself in the moment. And as a king representing God, he stood on his palace roof and he caught a glance of a woman bathing and he got lost in the obsession of the pleasure he wanted. And even though he knew it was the wife of a soldier of his fighting for God and the king on the front lines of the battle, he still invited her to his room and slept with her. She conceived and then everything spiraled downward. She conceived and he didn't want people to know so he invited the husband back from the front to sleep with his wife so he could cover the thing. You've never done anything like this, I know. I, you've never tried to cover, but I have. But this soldier had too much integrity to sleep with his wife when his fellow soldiers were out fighting for God and the king. The king had less character than the soldier of his, and so David came up with another plan. He would send this husband to the front lines where he'd be killed to cover his own sin. To love yourself so much that you care about no one else to that extent is crazy and we all do it. David did it. And he hid it for a year. No one could tell the difference in his life. He worshiped like ever. He, he led like ever. He was David on the outside, but on the inside, everything in his life became dark and it was crushing him, it was emptiness. He wasn't experiencing anything God had for him and many of us know what that darkness is like. Others don't know, but we do, and that's where he was. And then God, after a year, sent a spiritual teacher, a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan told him a story. He says, David, I want you to know there's something really horrible going on in your kingdom. And I know it's going to upset you. There's, there's this really rich guy who owns tons of sheep. But he went to a poor guy who only owned one little lamb. And he stole that lamb and killed that lamb to throw himself a party so he wouldn't deplete his flocks at all. 
and David got ticked and he said, who is that man? We're going to punish that man. And Nathan put his finger in the king's face and he said, you're the man. You are the king of Israel, blessed of God. You have everything your heart has ever desired and you have stolen one of your soldier's wives for yourself. You're the man. And I'm telling you, David was broken by it. Broken. And in the wake of this brokenness, he writes for us Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is, is really what all of us need. I have to be honest with you. I, I wanted to start this series in a very different place, you know, because there are lots of celebration psalms. There are a lot of happy-dappy psalms. There are a lot of psalms that would make you come. You'd come and go... Brad's finally in a happy place, in a happy mood. This is awesome. I'm going to come to this series because this is awesome. We're going to soar above the clouds with the eagles. But I can't start there because you will never experience the celebrations of God until you first acknowledge the brokenness of yourself. And that's where we have to start in our pursuit of God. And that's Psalm 51. What I want you to see is that we have this unbelievable conflict as human beings that goes in our soul. We long for God and that which is valuable and eternal and meaningful and significant, but we feel we're too broken to ever experience it, that we've already missed out, we've already failed too much, that God is at too great of a distance, that we're broken beyond repair. We're the Humpty Dumpties of the spiritual world, right? We feel that our brokenness disqualifies us, but... Listen, here's what the Psalms teach us. God has a passion for and specializes in broken people. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. Brokenness is the foundational prerequisite for knowing and experiencing and being used by God. In fact, if we're ever going to know and know God and know all that he wants for us, then it's going to start by us acknowledging our brokenness. In fact, get this, acknowledging our brokenness is the one sacrifice every single one of us needs to make in life if we're ever going to experience God. Here's the truth that I want to share with you this weekend as we begin this wonderful journey in this series from Psalms. Pursuing God begins with waking up to and acknowledging our brokenness. This is a church of people who have been broken. There's no question that all of us have experienced brokenness. There's no question that all of us have this war within. There's no question that all of us understand the darkness of it being hidden within. The only question is, have we, like David, come out of it and experience God's best after it? Pursuing God begins with waking up to the fact that we're all broken. I'm broken. And then acknowledging it. This is what David does in Psalm 51. Look at verses 16 to 17. And it says, you do not delight in sacrifice, God, or I'd bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. He's saying, he's saying, your greatest pleasure is not found in me doing all kinds of external things from you, serving you, giving for you, you know, making sacrifices for you that way. No, no, no. What's essentially important, he says, is my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, that you won't despise. 
You see, until we come with the sacrifice of our brokenness, we can never experience anything God has for us. And isn't it interesting? Very often in religion, what we're trying to do is hide our brokenness. We're trying to make up for our brokenness. But that's not how it's done. We have to acknowledge it. It's the only way it can get fixed. David, as he comes to God in this psalm, he comes feeling like his bones are crushed under the weight of his failure. He actually says it in verse 8. His, his brokenness was deep and painful. He was constantly at war within himself. He too fought world war me. But the great thing we learn from David is that it didn't disqualify him from living for God, experiencing God, and being used by God. In fact, David teaches us that that doing that which is unnatural to us, acknowledging our brokenness instead of hiding it, experiencing God's forgiveness instead of running from God is the starting place for all of our pursuit of God. You want to know God, you want to know life at its best, you want to be the best version of yourself, it starts with acknowledging brokenness. That's where it starts. But the good news is it doesn't stay there. Yes, it's true, we have to get to the place where we acknowledge our brokenness and all the darkness within, but the good news is if we start there, we can move to the, to the best things, to the eagle that soars. We can become all that God wants us to, but we have to start by coming out of hiding. So I want to show you the, the journey that he takes in Psalm 51 because it's the journey all of us need to take if we're going to know God. And it starts with acknowledging our brokenness, with finally realizing that I'm the man. You're the person. You're the one. And then that brokenness, that acknowledgement of brokenness, what it does is it it leads to confession. Brokenness, you know, what we do naturally is we, we hide our failures and we hide our sin and we hide our guilt and we hide those things that shame us because they shame us, right? And, and we think that'll make life better and then we try to add a little bit of religion, a little bit of spirituality, and a little bit of good sacrifice and a little bit of this. We might even give a couple extra bucks and we think, yeah, that'll get me over it and it doesn't, does it? No, what we have to do is we have to get to the place where we're so broken and so desperate that we finally bring it to the surface and confess it. Brokenness leads to confession. I always know when I'm truly confessing because what I'm confessing is my brokenness. I always know when I'm simply performing a ritual rite and that's when I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do so God will give me what I want. And that never gets me where I need to go. Brokenness leads to confession. In Psalm 51, the title of the psalm, and that's not necessarily a part of the inspired text that God gives us or anything, but the title of it tells us that this happened, this psalm was written by David after Nathan said, you're the guy, you know. And you know he's at the lowest ebb of his life, he's desperate, and it leads to confession. And look at his confession, it begins in verse 1 of Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. There has to come to a place where we're so broken we know we don't deserve anything and the only way we'll get anything is by mercy. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Now, that's so important. Look at many of us avoid God because we're afraid that God won't accept us, that, that he won't forgive us, that he won't embrace us, that we've messed up too profoundly, right? But see, we fail. 
but God doesn't. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. This I promise you, God's love will never fail. You can't do anything that will break his unfailing love for you. It can't fail. And then he goes on, according to your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And right there you start experiencing the poetry of the Psalms. And it's not like Western poetry, you know, how if it doesn't rhyme, it's not poetry for us, right? You read through the Psalms, like, this isn't poetry, it doesn't rhyme. It is poetry, it's just a different kind of poetry. And what they do is they use a lot of parallelism and contrast in there and and here he starts it, and I don't know if you noticed it, but he just gave us in this great confession of brokenness, he just gave us three verbs to describe what he needed and three nouns to describe himself and what he had done. I mean, it's like this trilogy. And look what he says. He goes, he goes blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. You need to know, and it, it's, it's saying... I have comprehensively blown it, and God, I need you to comprehensively forgive me or I'll never know life as you want it. Transgression is when you break the law intentionally, when you break the law. God had said you don't do that, and he intentionally, with knowledge, did it. That's total disobedience, and what happens when you break the law? You're guilty, right? And so he's saying, blot out my transgression. This is what I always want when I'm caught for speeding. I'm always asking the police officers to blot out my transgression. I know I was going 92 miles an hour, and yes, I do know it was a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit. I, I, I know that. But is there a way you could rip up that ticket, right? Blot it out. And that's what he's saying. You need to blot it out as if it never happened. And then he goes, he goes wash me from my iniquity. Iniquity is the sin that basically says, my sin has stained me. I can't see myself apart from the stain. Others can't see me apart from the stain. Just like if you have a big coffee stain on your shirt, that's what people see, right? And he goes, I'm stained by my iniquity. And he goes, you need to wash me. You need to, don't you have some shout, God? You know, oxyclean? You need to wash me of it so I'm no longer stained by it. And then he goes to the spiritual side and he goes, I I've sinned, I've missed the mark. I I I'm not close to you like I'm supposed to be close to you where life begins. And so he says, I need you to cleanse me. And what he's saying there, it's not like the wash me cleanse, it's like ceremony. I need you to, to cleanse me so that I can once again be close to you. This was Old Testament stuff where they couldn't go into the temple and worship God until the priest would say they're cleansed if they were a leper or they were stained in some way. And he was saying, you need to cleanse me so I can once again be close. Do you see it? Blot out my transgressions. Wash me of my iniquity. Cleanse me of my sin. And then look what he says. For I know my transgressions and I love, this is so important. You know, he's going, all I know right now is my guilt. I know my transgressions, they're, my sin's always before me. I don't know about you, but when I've, when I've messed up, that's all I can think about. That's all there. I might be smiling at you and saying, praise Jesus, aren't you awesome, isn't God good, let's read the Bible, let's listen to WMUZ, it's Christian radio. I, I don't know. what we, we, we do all this stuff, 
but all I can think about is the crap within. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hello? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Doesn't make for great living, does it? He's saying, all I know is my sin. I can't know you. I can't know love. I can't know joy. I can't know hope. I can't know, I can't know any. All I know is my sin. I'm lost in my brokenness is what he's saying. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is really important. See, until we realize that our sin is ultimately against God and what we've lost is our relationship with God, we're just going to keep hiding. Many of us think the problem is that others have caught us or others will caught us, so we do everything to hide. We go into hiding, but that just locks it into deeper darkness and deeper agony and deeper loss. But, but our sin is against God, and He knows and we're just running from him, the one we need most. And so he's saying, God, I know that this sin that I've been hiding from others, you've known it all along. And what I've been doing is running from you instead of running, running away from you instead of running to you. Please, God, I know my sin. And I know I've sinned against you. And then he says, you're right when your verdict is that I'm, I'm guilty. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I've been a mess up for a long time, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. But what I want you to see is brokenness leads to confession. If you're hiding something, you haven't yet experienced brokenness, which means you're not experiencing God. Do you see it? You have to be broken. See, when you're broken, you're desperate. So desperate that you don't care what people know about you. You care about getting another breath. You care about getting life back. You care about it so much that you don't care anymore about what people think. Brokenness. We will never know God until we get to the place where we no longer care what people think about us. We care that we know the God who can help us to breathe again. Have you been there? Brokenness leads to confession. And then, this is so good because it's a hill upwards from here. And I know, I mean, I know, I'm a pastor, I teach. You think I can't see you, but I can see you even in the balcony. I can see you. I, I can even see you at our other campuses right now through that camera. It's a miracle, you know, but it's here. I, I, I know what's going on. You get really quiet when we start talking about these things because all of a sudden, I'm talking about the stuff that you don't like talked about, right? We're bringing to the surface the things that we generally try to hide from each other, and I get it, and it gets really quiet, but I want you to know once you get there and you acknowledge it, then you can start climbing out of it. <laughs> because brokenness leads to confession, and David teaches us in Psalm 51 that confession leads to what we so desperately need, forgiveness. Confession leads to forgiveness. Look at how he says it in Psalm 51, verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop. Just so you know, hyssop was a, a herbal plant that they would put together and they'd use as a sprinkler of the sacrifice, you know, that would represent the forgiveness of sins. And he says, you need to sprinkle me with the blood of forgiveness. And for us, we know Jesus' blood was the ultimate forgiveness when it was shed on the cross. And he was saying, cleanse me with, with the blood of your sacrifice and I'll be clean. I'll be able to be with you again. 
Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow, no longer stained. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity and my transgressions. And you just, do you see, he's saying the same things only in reverse order. This is the poetry, the creativity of it. Now he's saying, cleanse me, wash me, blot out. We need, we need God's forgiveness frontwards and backwards all the way through Confession leads to forgiveness. And here's the great thing. Forgiveness leads to new life. Forgiveness leads to new life. That's what it leads to. Psalm 51 verses 10 and 11, after he's confessing and being forgiven, look what he says. Create in me a pure heart, a new heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me and but what he's saying is, I've been so broken that I can't walk. I've been so broken that I can't live. I've been so broken that I'm useless. And I know what that's like. But he's, he says, but you can make me new. Give me a new heart that beats for new things. Give me a new spirit that longs for the right things. Give me a new life. And see, religion will never fix you because religion is about covering up the brokenness within. But the acknowledging of brokenness and confessing to God can totally change you. It gives you a new life. That's what we need, right? Certainly what I need. The reality is we can't live the life that God's designed for us or called us to unless God gives us a new life, and that's what He, he wants to do. But we have to acknowledge our brokenness and confess and experience forgiveness. And then you go, well, well what's the great thing about a new life? Well... The new life offers us everything we're looking for and have lost in the life that we have. Do you know what new life leads to? New life leads to the joy that we long for, to the joy that we were made for, the, the joy that we're struggling to find in this world. That's what he says. He goes, Psalm 51, verses 8 and 12, Oh God, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I, this is so great. David had joy when he pursued nothing but God. David had no joy when he pursued nothing but his pleasure. In the end, he hated and suffered from the choices he made pursuing his pleasure, but he loved and rejoiced in the pleasure that he experienced from pursuing God and so he made the right choices and let's be honest most of the choices we make aren't we aren't we just trying to find the joy that we have lost I, I have to be honest with you and it, it's not I, 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 look at I want the I want the iPhone 10 I'm just telling you right now I just want it because now that I've seen it, I'm pretty sure it's going to make me happier than the iPhone success that I have. And it's true, isn't it, that often we try and purchase our joy? But let me just tell you something. You can't purchase joy, but Jesus purchased it for you, and he can put it in you. And there's nothing wrong with owning the iPhone 10. I can tell you that because I am going to own it, but I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm not going to own it because it's going to bring me joy. I'm going to own it because it'll make me so much cooler than most of you. And that's a, that's a whole different thing I'll be preaching about next week. But uh, here's the thing. 
True joy is new life, and that's what we're looking for. And it comes by acknowledging our brokenness. Do you see it? You know what new life is? He, he tells us new life is true worship. New life is when we truly can worship. Look at how David says it, Psalm 51, 15, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. I'll worship you. We were made for worship. We can't truly live without worship, which is why when we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping other things. And I know it seems trite, and I, I know it makes you Android people just upset, but I just have to bring it up one more time. When, when I do buy a new Apple product, a new iPhone, I, it's like, you know, the wrapping, everything about it is, like, worthy of worship to me, it seems like. It's like... It's like you get it, and you know, I don't open it at the store. Oh, no, this has to be a personal experience, and so I take it home, right? Put it down, I fall on my knees before it, you know, and then I, okay, I don't fall on my knees. And then I, I open the thing up, you know, and then I open that lid, and there it is in all of its glory, and I go, and, and I know there's hyperbole in this, but isn't it true that the objects of our life become the center of our worship and they don't do anything for us. We're looking for something worthy to worship. We're looking for something life-sustaining to worship, and we have it, but we just keep running from it. But when we acknowledge our brokenness and confess and experience forgiveness and have new life, we no longer have to run from the one who's worthy of true worship. We can run to him and worship him. And that's what David was saying. New life leads us to true influence, which is what we all want, and true impact, lives of meaning and significance. David said it, if you forgive me, God, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I will live in a way that makes a difference in this world instead of living for myself and being self-absorbed. You see, when our hearts are made new, they start beating in very unselfish ways. They start beating for others instead of beating for ourselves. I have found that when I'm really hungering for God and experiencing the best moments of life, I'm caring most for others, but when I'm really hungering for my own pleasure, I don't care about others. Have you found that to be your world war? We need to put God first, and then we'll care about others. And I want you to know, we at Northridge don't stand in judgment of you. Whatever your issues are, whatever they are, let me just tell you, we all start in brokenness and we all continue to strive to overcome that brokenness in Jesus' name. We don't stand in judgment. We're just trying to help you, like us, to start experiencing true joy and true worship by acknowledging your brokenness and admitting it. And we're living in a world that wants you to just embrace your brokenness as if God gave it to you. To live in your brokenness. We're living in a world that wants wants us to affirm your brokenness, to lift you up, because that will make you feel better about yourself. But making you feel better about your brokenness is a tragedy. Helping you to find redemption through your brokenness is the great gift. And that's what the church needs to be so that we can worship. And so we need to start caring about others. And so what's all this mean for us? What, what's it mean for us to bring it in? Like with David, wherever we are on our spiritual journey, we too are going to experience World War Me. This is not something 
that applies just to those who don't know God. This applies to those of us who do. This is not something that just applies to those who are starting their journey with God. David was a long-term God follower who had been profoundly blessed when he blew it, and the same can happen to all of us. This is relevant to all of us. Every day I fight World War Me. Every day is a new battle, and the question is, am I losing the battle or winning the battle, and then what am I doing with it? We have a choice as to how we're going to face it. Most, unfortunately, make the wrong choice and they experience loss for their whole lives. But David showed us the right choice. And so here's, here's the application I want to give you this first weekend of this series. In light of David in Psalm 51, I believe the choice that we should make is obvious. The choice is obvious. It's not to pretend that we don't fight this war. It's not to pretend that we're not broken. No, that's not it. Here's the choice to acknowledge your brokenness. Stop telling us how great a Christ follower you are. Stop telling us how spiritual you are. Stop telling us how much you've done and, and just acknowledge, yeah, you know what, I've been losing some wars here. Acknowledge your brokenness wherever you're at in the journey and then let that brokenness lead to confession because that leads to everything you're looking for. And so in this moment, just before we close, and I hope you'll stick with me in this moment, at all of our campuses. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we pray, I just really encourage all of you to acknowledge your brokenness wherever it is, wherever you're at in this journey. Because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But if you're here and you've never experienced Jesus even for the first time, I'm going to pray and encourage you to take my words and make them the expression of your heart. Just say, God, I... I have to admit it, I've been running from you and running from myself and hiding the reality, but I'm broken. And I need you to forgive me. And so I confess my sin and my guilt and that I don't deserve you. And I declare my faith that Jesus, you died on the cross to forgive me and to make me new, you rose again. And by faith, I'm receiving your forgiveness and new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I, I just really want to encourage you to let me know. In fact, all of you who just kind of connected with God, reconnected with God, I hope you'll keep taking next steps forward. You can communicate to us. We have so many ways to support you. But if you just prayed for the first time, would you please let me know? Just fill out your connection card. It's in the program that you were given. And... Check the area that says, I prayed with you to receive Jesus so that we can then send you. We want to send you a Bible and we want to send you information about next steps. And, and if you are needing other support, let us know that. And if you're watching online, hit the what next button and we'll do the same exact thing for you, okay? I really want to encourage you to start pursuing God in new ways. And that's what our starting point groups are all about. And we're starting a new season of starting point groups. And everybody involved in the starting point is in the lobby. And I hope that you'd go to the lobby, whatever campus you're at, and talk to the starting point group people and get connected with that and start moving forward with that. And last but not least, I believe in this series and today, God's doing a work in a lot of your lives. You need to know at all of our campuses we have a prayer team. And they meet right up here after the service is over. And if you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone... Would you just come forward after the service and they'll get with you and, and they'll help you to experience God in new and fresh ways, okay? And with that, I just want to kind of close the talk this way.
we, we, we need to remember that this journey that we've been talking about is not a linear journey, it's a circular journey. It, it, you can't say, yeah, 30 years ago I was broken, but man, I've been awesome ever since. I mean, welcome, St. Tom, St. Sue. I mean, uh, it's great to have you here, popish. Uh, but the truth is we've all been broken, right, since then. Brokenness isn't a one-time occurrence. Brokenness is a constant occurrence. Failure isn't a one-time occurrence we have to deal with. It's a constant occurrence. And so wherever you are on the journey, you have brokenness to acknowledge and confession to make and forgiveness to experience and new life to embrace. And I encourage you to perpetuate this in your life. And this process is at the core of appropriately fighting World War Me. And we're going to be looking at I hope deep and relevant ways that we can keep winning this war through the Psalms, through real people we can relate to. So I hope you'll come and be a part of this series, and I hope you'll invite as many people as you can, because I'm telling you, the more people who learn how to live with and win World War Me, the better our world is, and it can start here at Northridge with this series. I'm so glad you were here. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.